Good morning. Uh, welcome to Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here. And today we start a new series. Now, as we're preparing for Christmas, uh, some of you are already fully prepared. You have all your shopping done. Is there anyone in here who is completely done with shopping? Raise your hand. Oh, that's impressive. That's more hands than I thought, which means the rest of you are, are all now struggling with the sin of envy and anger and jealousy. Um, some of you procrastinators, uh, hey, you still have like 12 days or something, so you'll be good. Um, but, you know, as we prepare for Christmas, I, I think it's safe to say we all recognize that we're preparing to celebrate the miraculous birth of Jesus. Now, even for someone, uh, especially in the United States, who has never stepped foot in a church, who's never read a single sentence of the Bible, who knows really nothing about Christianity or the Christian faith, I would say the far majority of them still recognize that Christmas is a Christian holiday celebrating the coming of Jesus. And so as we prepare to celebrate this birth that shatters human history, that changes the course of all of human history, as we prepare to celebrate the most miraculous birth, I thought what would be fun is for a few weeks for us to actually survey several births throughout the Bible that were either miraculous or the births are surrounded by divine intervention and miraculous events. And as we look at these miraculous births, we're going to realize that they reveal to us something about the nature and character and heart of God and his desire and his plan for us. So as we prepare to um, begin our series, you can use this QR code to follow along because we have quite a few scripture passages that we're actually going to read today. And today we're going to talk about the birth of Moses. But before we get there, I want to set the stage. Now, I don't know if you recognize this, but the Bible is one grand story. It was written on multiple continents, uh, in multiple languages, over the span of roughly 1,500 years by at least 40 authors, yet it tells one great story, a story from creation to Christ, and then a story from Christ to the culmination of all of existence in human history. And you are a part of that story. The story of the Bible is your story. Now, you are not the main character of the story. Sometimes what goes wrong in our lives or in our faith is we, when we begin to see ourselves as the main character of the story. You're not the main character of the story. Jesus is. But you are a part of the story and this is your story. And so the, when we talk about the Bible, we are talking about your story, your heritage. And so as we begin to set the stage for Moses, I want to jump back in history to a man named Abraham. Now his birth name was Abram. We now know him as Abraham. And Abram and his wife Sarai uh, were old they couldn't have kids. They couldn't have had kids when they were in their prime. And that ship had sailed. God steps in because he wants to do something new in this world. He wants to change the course of human history. He wants to prepare this earth and the people on it 
for the ultimate solution to the sin problem we all suffer from that he was going to send. And in order to do that, he needed to prepare this world. And so he calls Abraham and says, I am going to make you into a great nation. I am going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. That through you, I am going to funnel my blessings to all people. Now, Abraham and Sarah thought that was kind of funny, given that they couldn't have a single kid, much less a multitude. And perhaps one of the very early first miraculous births we see in Scripture is that God steps in and says, what is impossible for you is possible for me. And Sarah conceives. She gives birth to a boy that they named Isaac. And so it begins, the the family history of Abraham. It's the beginning of the Hebrew people. It's the beginning of, of Israel. Isaac will give birth, well, not him, but his wife will give birth to a boy they'll call Jacob. Jacob's name will later be changed to Israel. And so you see from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob... We're in the third generation, and now Jacob, who's now, whose new name is Israel, gives birth to many sons, and we see this people group start growing and growing and growing. Well, one of Jacob, or Israel's sons, was named Joseph. He was a spoiled brat, and he loved it, and he rubbed it in his brother's faces. And so they got rid of him by selling him to a slave trader who took Joseph down to Egypt. There, Joseph was in servitude to some Egyptian officials, but God did not abandon him, and his influence and his power began to grow, and the respect and trust that people began to have of Joseph started to grow until one day, Joseph finds himself the number two most powerful man in Egypt, Pharaoh's right-hand man, because Pharaoh could tell that Joseph had God's blessing on him. And through a crazy turn of events, uh, Joseph is reunited with his brothers, who now that their brother is so powerful, um, quickly apologize. Joseph forgives them and brings them in and takes care of them. And what we find is that Abraham's descendants, this people that is starting to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, These people that descend from Jacob or Israel are all now living in Egypt. And it's going well. They're growing and they're multiplying. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. God is blessing them. And then one day, everything turns south. And we pick up that story in Exodus chapter 1. And so now we have some context for how Abraham's family or the Israelite people are in Egypt, why they're there in the first place. And it says this, Exodus 1 verses 8 through 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So 
Some time has passed and there's now no longer a friendly relationship between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And a new Pharaoh rises to power and says, this is too dangerous. These people are a threat to my power and to my authority. So I I think it's best we do something about it. And here's what the Pharaoh decides to do. We can see it in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. If these people were getting too big and too powerful and Pharaoh was worried that they might form an army, the easiest thing for Pharaoh to do was to get rid of any future potential recruits. Every baby boy born of the Hebrew people or the Israelites, he commands to throw in the river. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've spent some time in church, you may know how this story ends. You may know all the details of it, but I'd like for us just to look at it quickly. Now, we're just going to read through it, and this comes out of Exodus chapter 2. So we'll look at it together. Now, a man from the house of Levi, so that's one of the descendants of, long descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so this is a Hebrew man, uh, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitmen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse? from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And the name Moses sounds very similar to the Hebrew word for to draw out. And so we see in the life of Moses this beginning stage of God's divine intervention. Now perhaps the conception of Moses was not so miraculous, rather ordinary. But his protection was most certainly miraculous. That God stepped in and said, I'm going to save this child because, well, because I have a plan for him. Depending on how familiar you are with the birth story of Jesus, even if you didn't know the story of Moses, some of this may sound a bit familiar. Let me give you the context and the backstory to Jesus' birth. As the angel appears to Mary, who is engaged but not married, still a virgin, and says you're going, to, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, God's holy Messiah. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but God has heard the cry of his people and he, 
is sending the answer. And so Mary and her fiancé, her betrothed Joseph, traveled to Bethlehem because of a census, and there she goes into labor and gives birth to Jesus. A star appears in the sky as a symbol that something special has happened. Some astrologers from the east travel to see what this star must be saying, what must be happening. So they go to the local king, a guy named Herod, and say, something special has happened. A king has just been born. Herod was confused because none of his wives had just had a child. And he said, what do you mean a king has just been born? And they said, we saw the sign. It's, there's no doubt about it. A king has been born. Where is he? Well, Herod knew that meant trouble was brewing. But he didn't know. So he tried to inquire with some of his royal officials, and they didn't know either. And so he lies to these astrologers, and he says, listen, I want you to go, and I want you to find this new king, and then when you find him, I want you to come tell me, because I would like to go worship and honor him as well. So the wise men go, and they do find, in fact, Mary and the child, and worship at the feet of Jesus. But an angel appears to these wise men and says, don't go back to Herod. Go the other direction. So they do. And then we pick up the story when Herod realizes that he's been tricked. That these astrologers astrologers didn't come and tell him where this new king had been born. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So Herod had a plan to destroy Jesus. Because Jesus represented a threat to his power and his authority. If really, in fact, a king had been born, then that means Herod's place on the throne, his time was limited, and his place was illegitimate. And so Herod decided that he was going to take care of the problem. And so in order to protect the child, God sends an angel to warn Joseph and say, take the child to Egypt. Now here's what's really cool. Here, Matthew quotes out of the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 11. And here is where that quote comes from. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. What we're about to discover and what we're going to talk about next is that God did not abandon his people in Egypt. That he heard their cries As not only did Pharaoh order that the baby boys all be thrown into the river, but that he began to enslave the Israelite people. That he put taskmasters over them. That they were no longer free people. They were now the slaves of Egypt. God heard the cries of his people and said, I'm going to to call them out and set them free. And because I love Israel... 
not the, pe- not the person Israel so much as the people Israel. Because I love my people, I'm going to call them out of Egypt. Matthew makes the connection to this event with Jesus. That when, when this was said from the prophet Hosea, he thought he was just talking about a historical event that happened some, some 1,400 centuries earlier, but in fact was prophesying about something even more important that was going to happen. And then we read what happens next in the story of Jesus. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Very similar to what Pharaoh did, Herod decided that if there was a problem, he was going to fix it. If there was a threat to his own power and authority, then he would eliminate that threat. And since he couldn't pinpoint where that threat was, he cast a wide net to make sure he got the job done. And as we return to the story of Moses, God had some divine intervention, some miraculous moments to preserve Moses' life because God had a plan for Moses. Some 80 years later, Moses will stand face to face before God one day as God finally reveals his ultimate plan and purpose for Moses. And here's what he says in Exodus 3, verses 9 through 10. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God set Moses aside to bring freedom to his people. God protected Moses' life because he knew Something special was going to happen through the life and the ministry of Moses. Listen to what Jesus says about his own ministry. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, when we read about the people of Israel, they were in physical bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. But what Jesus came teaching and revealing is that all of us, every one of us, is enslaved. All of us are enslaved to sin. It rules over us. It controls what we do but that Jesus came to set us free. Look with me at Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to set us free. We were in bondage and in slavery. But God wanted to draw his people out into freedom. I want to look at one more thing. One more parallel that we see between the life of Moses and that of Jesus. So we read verses 9 and 10 out of Exodus 3. When God says, I want you, Moses, to lead my people out of slavery and into freedom. This is verses 11 and 12, what he says next. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses had a reaction like most of us would. Why in the world would you choose me? God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God says, Moses, this isn't about you. This is about me. And I'm not only leading the people out of something. I want to lead them into something. I don't just want to lead the people out of slavery. I want to lead them into my presence. The purpose of what God was doing here was not just about getting people out of slavery. It was about drawing them to himself. He tells Moses, this is your sign. This is the sign that will reveal to you what I'm really at work doing here is that soon you and all of my people will be standing on this mountain in my presence to worship me. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, 6. I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came to lead us out of slavery into freedom, but even more than that, into his presence. But because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished and what he did, we don't have to go to a mountain or to a building to be in the presence of God and to worship him there. God's presence is made available to all of us through Jesus. God steps into the world of ancient Egypt roughly 3,500 years ago to set apart one individual because he had a plan to do something special, to lead people out of slavery and into freedom and into his presence. And 1,500 years later, we see God do it again. To protect the life of Jesus. To open the way for his ministry and his teaching. To lead people out of slavery, into freedom, and into God's presence. That is why we celebrate Christmas. Yeah, some cool events happened 2,000 years ago 
with the birth of this baby. But it's not just about the birth. It's what comes because of it. That through Jesus, freedom is offered to all of us. And an opportunity to enter into and embrace God's presence. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, at Christmas time, I know how easy it is to go through the motions, to allow just tradition to rule the day. to forget some of the significance of what Christmas represents. Lord, we ask in this moment, would you help us to feel the weight of what the moment of the birth of Jesus means? Would you allow us to feel the weight of slavery to sin so that we can recognize the freedom that you bring for us. That we are now free to live in your presence. To live the life that you have called us and created us to live. Lord, we are so thankful for your divine intervention, for the, for the miraculous things that you did 3,500 years ago to protect the life of Moses. And Lord, more than that, we celebrate and thank you for the miraculous birth of Jesus that changed the course of human history in our lives forever. Would you draw us in and help us to worship you this morning?